you used to play orcs, right? No, I didn't play orcs. I played uh, I played Space Marines for a little bit. I used to play Ultramarines, and then I moved on uh, to Dark Smurfs. Angels. No. And but that was when that was when I was young, and I just got introduced to it. So I was like, they're, they're the ones on the box. And then I played Eldar, and then I was like, not really enjoying that. You didn't like the space elves, and then I just okay, went okay, to okay. what was there. But, but the orcs are the best ones. Like they're they're the green. They're Warhammer. They're, yeah, not this podcast. I mean, it could be this podcast, but it, but it won't. Be. I use my orc minis to play orcs on the table. Join us on our other podcast. It's a t- Tyranid. Oh, I messed that up already. Well, actually, you got, right. you, got, you got it right. You got it. You got it right. It's yeah, been Tyranid. Yeah. Is it Tyranid? Yeah, it's Tyranid. Okay, so let's cut to the opening music. Welcome to It's a Mimic with your DMs, Adam, Dan, and Terry. Who is that woman? I don't know. You guys heard a woman? That's the third time that's happened. All right. Anyway, uh, I want to talk about um, combat again. I know we just spent the last two episodes talking about it, but I want to do it one more time because I think it's important. I think we left out a couple of really important aspects of it before we move on. It's not just your fascination with the number three. Uh, no, it has everything to do with the fact that we haven't talked about big, bad, evil guys. And we oh, haven't I talked about so. beasts. So I want to... I like of, both of those things. <laughs> well, I don't. I want to uh, dive into it a little bit and uh, start talking a little bit more about tactics, especially from a DM perspective. Because we've spoken okay. a lot about environments and how that can impact mm-hmm. combat. We've talked about um, some motivations, some different bad guys. We haven't really talked about why the bad guys do the things they do. Okay. And considering that I know every D&D campaign includes combat, some skip over the exploration. I know every once in a while they don't even bother with the roleplay. They're mm-hmm. in it solely for the tactics. Combat is, I think, probably the most popular of the three pillars. We should probably just round this out before we move on to other things. Fair so. enough. It sounds like we are going to talk about Warhammer if we're missing out roleplay and exploration. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, as always, I'd like to roll initiative to see who's going to talk first before... Okay. I uh, introduced the first thing I want to talk about. I brought my own D20 this time because Dan sucked. I'm, they were decent for Adam. Yeah, I, which is why I'm sticking with his. Okay. Go. 10. Oh, hey, 15. Brings his own dice and gets to talk first. Brings Greenie along. All right, but. She gets it done. I'm going to control what you're talking about, Terry. Okay, because you're going to tell me we, what to say. Yes, that's right. Dance my puppets. <laughs> um, I want to talk about the. Idea of intelligent creatures first. Before we get into the big bad guys, before we get into the bosses and and the villains, let's talk about some of the lower tier monsters that you're going to run into. Uh, things like animals and beasts and monstrosities. Even some of the aberrations where they don't necessarily have their own thought process. Mm-hmm. There's no sentience there. What, how are you running that in a campaign? How do, When you say roll initiative and you bring out your mini or you're doing theater of the mind and you say, oh, you hear the growling from the woods, how are you running that? Right. Well, first of all, I think what the common mistake that people get into is they'll just go, oh, random encounter. Let's say uh, 1d6 wolves. Uh, there, there's five wolves just standing there. Go ahead. But remember, these beasts are their own creatures. They have their own lives. They're doing their own thing. They have mates. They have younglings. Cubs, kittens, whatever they're called, for whichever animal. They're usually doing stuff. Um, If there's a predator, they may also be prey. 
Where are they? Are they down by a watering hole? Is there also another predator there? I want to get into a little video I once saw about something that was going on in Africa. I don't know if you guys have seen this. It's where, yeah, yeah, I think yeah. it's a buffalo calf. Yeah, I know and the lions about. try and come and take it. And they, they get too close to the water. So then the crocodile comes out of the water. And then the crocodile and the lions are playing tug of war with this yeah. calf. Trying yeah. to rip the thing apart. Don't worry, Dan. That it, sounds horrifying. No, it, it is. In nature, it is. nature is metal, though. And in it's the true. end, the calf did actually get away. Nature. <laughs> but what I'm talking talking about is it, it for me for an interesting game I know we're touching on exploration but to make it more interesting you shouldn't just walk into a clearing and there happens to be five wolves just stood there ready for you to come the the fun of the encounter should be maybe you walk in on them when they're feeding or maybe you see the cubs first and you're like oh 1d4 wolf cubs that's so cute here's mommy so i think we need to think a little bit more like the creatures think yeah oh you got, yeah you got to really put yourselves into uh that frame of mind of exactly what kind of animal it is as well like um i was num- next so i'm going to just roll with this that is that is a lie i rolled higher than you but i want to talk about territorialism no nope. i'm going to hold my action and let dan talk about being territorial okay because he's getting territorial with the podcast right that's now. right i am this is thematic ha this is meta podcasting okay. you're welcome the nerds are fighting okay. <laughs> dan you good thing go. we're covering combat no dan, so um, you can look at uh, wolves. Wolves are going to be more territorial. You can look at other uh, creatures. There's an often like there's often a chance where you're going to roll, say, a bear. Bears typically are territorial, uh, but they care more about their pod, their their grouping of creatures together. So as long as they're together in a way, they're probably not going to actively engage. So just because you rolled up something like four bears. Doesn't mean the party has to fight the four bears. Right. Could be that they see the four bears, but because they're staying outside of the bear's territory, they could skirt around. Now, if you have the big, dumb, angry barbarian, you know, say, oh, sweet, bears, I want a new cloak. And he charges in, well, it's a fight. You're breaking into that territorial bound, right? Um, But you really got to think about the monsters you're putting down or the the animals you're putting down um, to see if it's... If the party's infringing upon their territory, if they're even going to engage, if they're going to run away, if they're going to hide, what that monster or creature is going to do. Right. And and if you walk into a lair or a den or something, a lot of the time you're going to just, I'm going to jump into this territorial thing. They're going to be territorial to a point. They may be territorial, like you say, about their pack that they're with, but it may just be a land thing as well. Yeah. So when you are in their den, oh, hey, you know, we need a long rest. Here's a cave. Oops. Right. And there's something already living there. Yeah. How are they reacting? What if they can't run away? What if they're cornered? Right? What if they come back and it's their cub that's cornered? Right? Yeah. You have, even though it's an, it's a dumb animal, there are all these different tactics. And they're going to try the same thing over and over and over again because they're a dumb animal. They're going to bite, swipe with claws. Bite, swipe with claws. Yeah. Right? Or however the mechanic works for that specific one. But their tactics will change as their environment, as their priorities change. Yeah. And even an animal can have different priorities, I think, which is what you're saying. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean... You could even go, since we're talking about the unintelligent creatures right now, uh, you could even take that concept of territorialism and put it to the more supernatural yet dumbest posts animals and monsters. So say you have like a uh, uh, gibbering mouther or something. Like something that is just, its sole purpose in life is to consume, oh, no, I'll go with rust monster. Sole purpose in life is to consume metal. That's it. That's all it, that's all it does. You walk into a party full of, uh, you know, rogues and druids who are wearing leather and wielding clubs. That rust monster is going to get disinterested and walk away. Yeah. Right? Now, if that rust monster comes across a party that's full of paladins and fighters and 
um, the one rogue that's walking out of the town covering himself in, in metal that he's hiding from the rest of the party, that rust monster is going to start salivating and attack. So what you're saying is is really, even though the creatures are of less intelligence, you need to do your own research really to find out what their, what their nature is. Yep. How they naturally will act in a situation for it to be more realistic, even though it's a fantasy game. And if, you, if you're like me and you're not much of a researcher and prepper, just make it up, but be consistent. So, like, if it's a rust monster, they're going to attack things. It says it in the name. It's not It's not that hard to, you know, come to the conclusion, hey, this thing's going to want to eat metal. If there's no metal, why is it there? It's not that hard to get to that point. But if you've got a more complex, unintelligent creature, like uh, other forms of aberrations. Um, let's go with uh, Carrion Crawler. Okay. Uh, are carrier crawlers aberrations? No, they're... They're monstrosities. They're monstrosities. So if, if you go with like a, a carrion crawler, you have to think, well, is there corpses around? Have they eaten recently? Like you got to start putting your money into mm-hmm. there. What about um, just because you were talking about ter- territory and kind of touching on um, how animals would act in, or beasts or creatures of different kinds in certain situations. What about when these creatures come across each other? Or, or, or rather, how can we make the encounter more interesting using the nature of these creatures? So I kind of touched on before, you come across prey. Are you the only predator in the area that's looking at that prey? Right. And um, see, that's interesting. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump in. It's my turn now for real, Dan. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, for my reaction, anyway, this turn, I'm <laughs> going to answer that. Um, yes, you can make it more interesting by having other things uh, come in. But, I mean, you guys just ran into a stampede in the last in the last session that you played, right? right. Where everything was dumb. Mm-hmm. But some were more opportunistic than others. Uh, all of the prey was running and then some of the wolves were following. <coughs> so there's going to be different ways that a DM can can throw that these different animals in there. But I guess what, what we're talking about is, is tactics as yeah. well. Yeah. And I'm going to tell you right now that I look to two different things. I look to the stats and I look to the abilities. Yeah. Um, for example, when you start having things like stealth, this creature should be pouncing. This is someone or something that gets in and out real fast. If dexterity is their number one stat, then this is a stealthy creature that will probably lie in wait. And you should be rolling hide behind your DM screen before the players actually catch up to you. If it's strength, then this is something that's probably not very afraid. They're going to come in and do maximum damage. If it's constitution, uh, keep them protecting something because they're going to be able to live longer you kind of get an idea of what they want. And I mean, intelligence aside, we're going to talk about it more in a minute. Have their wisdom really, really matter? Because wisdom to charisma, and I think a lot of people get this a little bit wrong, uh, or maybe I just see it differently. Charisma itself is about how you read people, and wisdom is how you read a scenario, how you read the environment, yeah. which is why perception and um, and investigation. All these are, are wisdom. Investigation is intelligence. Is oh, okay. So bad example, but um, but your uh, your perception and uh, and your survival, survival and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. These are all environmental things. Yeah. No, you're right. Uh, whereas charisma is all about dealing with an individual. So it's not necessarily how pretty you are, although we love to say that when we're bards. It's like your social intelligence. It, it is so that when I've got a creature with a high wisdom and whatnot, they're going to wait until dark. They may have seen the party and they're going to stalk them through the woods, but they're going to wait until dark because that's how they hunt. But if they've got high charisma, they're going to be smart enough to look at the 
party walking by, depending on their charisma level, they're going to be smart enough at the very least to say, hey, you know what? I'm going to pick on the one in the back or which is the weakest. Mm-hmm. Or they all look weak, so take they're out the big one. are going to attack the one in the dress. Not, yeah. not even necessarily. Hit the, hit the halfling. Yeah, yeah. Right? Even the if the half- one. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but that all reflects on what the, the creature's goal is as well. If it's, we just talked about pouncing, if that creature is hunting, they're going to go for the little one and drag them away. They don't, they're not even there for a fight. They're just going to drag they're the halfling away. Yeah. yeah. Now, I do want to caution DMs. Uh, this is going to be a very DM-centric, like, how to run these kind of monsters. But if you're going to put the time and effort into running these monsters with a certain... And we'll cover this more in depth in a later episode, I'm certain. But if you want to go more in depth with the tactics, tactics and make more sense with the tactics of your monsters, remember that your players are going to want to do the same thing. They're going to want to respond in kind. So like you mentioned that last encounter we had with the stampeding things. Well, you see a bunch of hungry wolves chasing some of the animals down. Well, if you need to distract them, take down one of the animals, right? Give the wolves something to focus on that's not your party. Like, players can use those tactics uh, against unintelligent creatures, try to figure out what their motive, the creature's motivations are, using things like animal handling or, or perception or whatnot. Absolutely. And the other really big thing that I want to bring up, because it is such a regular tool that everyone's always aware of and everybody has, fire. Yep. If you have unintelligent creatures, oozes, plants, constructs, these things will have a basic knowledge that fire is bad, no matter how dumb they are. They're going to shy away from the heat or the spark or the flame. Uh, they, some, they may just smell the smoke, but they're going to Just in rot. their DNA. They're just yeah. evolved to think that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, maybe not undead, depending on how you run your undead. Uh, yeah, I don't, Some are more intelligent than others, but I you're low run, level. If we're look, talking low level undead zombies, for example... A zombie in itself is is just a reanimated corpse, really. It's not going to see fire and, and think it's bad, you know? But, I mean, you could do things like a, a, either a juju zombie or um, vampire spawn, even, in a way. Flesh like golem. Flesh golem yeah. thing. Yeah, flesh golem specifically, because... Fire bad! Inspiration, fire bad, fire bad! Right? Like, you could still attempt it, I guess. <laughs> But um, there are definitely different tactics you can use against these things. And I know that everyone's initial uh, response is, hey, look, it's a beast. I would like to tame it. It is okay. Even if they roll a 20 on their animal handling to scare the beast or to intimidate it or, or persuade it or try to get it to do what they want, sometimes the beast is the beast. Mm-hmm. And a 20 is not good enough. Remember, crits aren't auto-successes. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Crits are not auto You do not have a 5% chance of taming a tiger randomly in the wild. No. So, uh, just uh, just putting that out there for intelligent or unintelligent creatures. Is there anything else you guys want to touch on no, for, good. for the beasts? Uh, no. I'm good. Alright, uh, I want to move on to intelligent creatures next, but let's roll initiative again. Sure. Well, let's do shout out first. Sure, okay. This week's shout-out goes to the ClearCut crew, who are a bunch of local nerds that have been supporting the podcast since day one, and they often ask insightful and probing questions to Dan and Adam. You guys are funny and awesome, and the It's a Mimic podcast is grateful to have you as part of the community. Now, if only you'd stop calling Dan the master. All right, so uh, that woman came back, and it's weird that you don't hear her. Yeah, you yeah, just, just You just ask for us. 
to do a shout out and then you sit there blankly for like three and a half minutes and wait and Terry and I just get so scared. Yeah. I well, like you guys look like you're about to start speaking and then are like you just halter and I'm just watching to where you guys get back. Do you feel like in. it's kind of up and left? I feel like we look at the same place in the room when we hear it. And so since we're in the since direction. I'm surrounded by these two dum dums, let's talk about intelligent creatures, shall we? Yeah, initiative. Ah, I botched. I had a thirteen until this Dan's die hit me. Ha <laughs> ha! Touched it. Yeah, we both hit eleven. So reroll. Sixteen. There we go. I'm going to go back and count the amount of times that I come last over these episodes because it should be a third of the time, and I feel like it's seventy percent of the time. Uh, the I'm answer okay is all. I'm of leaving. Them. I'm rage quitting already. <laughs> Okay, so... Uh, We're on episode three, today. <laughs> I want to talk about intelligent creatures, okay? But before we do that, I want to talk about what is intelligence. And I found a really good, useful tool online at uh, otherworldlyincantations.com that listed intelligence um, and kind of broke it down numerically based on what you see in the stat block. Now, they get into hyperintelligence. It goes all the way up to 30. But I wanted to kind of get the idea that uh, one is like a borderline object, right? Everything two to three is an animal, so we're talking things like like hawks yep. and iron golems, where it's things that are borderline object like frogs, right? That, yep. that there's not a whole bunch more going on it's there. Mostly right? so, instinct. Yeah. yeah. Uh, then you have pre-sapient. So that's your baboon, your ogre, your hill giant. These are things that are can kind of reason a little bit with enough um, basic, basic, basic repetition and rote learning. Yeah, it's more just don't try and confuse them at yeah. that point, yeah. yeah. But then you have 6 and six and 7. That's that's actually sapient. In 5th ed, you can still speak. You are not smart, but you're not crippled. Whereas I remember in previous editions, if you had a 9, you were grunting, mm -hmm. right? And it's not like that anymore. You can get right down there to 6 and 7. This helps especially if you're doing point by, mm -hmm. yeah. right? So your low intelligence, you have a, a negative modifier... But you're not expected to have high intelligence. Uh, again, we're talking barbarians, right? Like the, Barbarians, the, fighters, yeah. That's just kind of where it comes from. And Walk then, up and poke things with a sharp stick, guys. But but this is still like minotaur troll level. Like yeah. you can have a conversation. Don't speak too quickly. You will confuse and anger them. Mm -hmm. And then eight to nine is your subcom and your dull-witted. You know, they misremember facts. They have difficulty multitasking. Uh, things like an adult white dragon or a kobold or a yeti. Right, you can have a conversation with a yeti, um, but it may have its information wrong. Right, and then ten and above is your is your average people to your geniuses to your beyond genius. Right, depending on how high up you go, but the average person sits between a ten and an eighteen. So when we're talking about intelligent creatures, that's kind of the area that I'm talking about. We can talk about super geniuses another day. Your immortal lich that is the master mm -hmm. strategizer and has access to all the spells. Beholders as well. Yeah, yeah that's not this this uh, this episode. Okay, yeah. so so let's stick to to the intelligent enough creatures that they can strategize against you. Um, the very first thing that I want to talk about is uh, objectives. Okay, right. What are they doing and why? There has to be a goal. Even if they're just bandits on the side of the road, you know what the goal is. Yeah. If they're cultists, you know what their goal is. Mm -hmm. If they're guards, you know what their goal is. They always have a plan. They always have an objective. They're always trying to figure something out. It may not be a good plan. And when that plan goes to shit, they may have to come up with something new on the fly and yeah. be bad at it. But they still are going to try to have a plan. You as a DM need to know what that plan is coming in and kind of what that contingency is going to be. Based on whether or not it's it's a goblin. Maybe it's a hyper-intelligent goblin. 
which means it's got an intelligence of 13. But it's going to be smarter than all the rest, and it's going to be the leader, and when things go to hell, it's going to be like, oh, okay, all right, well, now we're doing this. Mm-hmm. For your enemies, they're going to have different tactics. They're going to uh, be married to these tactics, like kobolds are traps. Yeah. Right. Ogres and gnolls are play into the tropes. We we talked about this in the special episodes uh, we released. Right. Like, but play into the tropes a little bit. Yeah. But once that once their tactic has failed, what do they do then? And you only the only way for you to have that that knowledge is to understand that what is their objective. And for most sentient creatures, there are three objectives: food, procreate, and live. That's it. So what they're doing and by procreate, I don't mean like, hey, we're we're here, uh, we're gonna pay off the bouncer and get into the tavern. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about them saying, hey, <laughs> we're single goblins out yeah. on the town. <laughs> I'm talking about expanding land. If we're not expanding our territory, then then we're stagnant. Right. Right. Yeah. That's how a lot of the gnolls and orcs and a lot of the mob creatures operate. And yeah. that's so, that's that's kind of a sliding scale as well. Like your ogres are gonna be more concerned with food than they are gonna be about with, you know. Right, procreating. But, but the point is, know what it is for exactly, each. Yeah. And, and it's going to shift if they're there because they need to expand their land, and then they get stopped and halted. Well, now they're in full retreat mode. There should not be a whole lot of enemies that are intelligent that fight to the death because everything, down to the dumbest person that you have ever met, understands that I have better odds uh, fighting again another day. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to bail. Yeah. It, it's usually your higher level overconfident things that are going to be um, the ones that fight to the death. Yeah. But but even then, they're going to be overconfident because they've got uh, high enough intelligence but yeah. low low wisdom. They don't understand what's going on around them. Or they don't understand. They look at the party and they see, oh, look, shiny. Instead of, wait a minute, that's a plus four shield. I'm in trouble. Yeah. Right? So it, it depends on, on who you're dealing with. But really think about what they want and why and how badly they want it. Cultists might fight to the death. I bet bandits don't. No, they want. Well, that actually reminds me of an encounter we had one time with some bandits because you were talking about people having different objectives, being there for different reasons. Uh, one time in the campaign that you were running, uh, was this before Dan was born? I have. Before you were born into I'm the campaign. Older. Oh, born in the campaign, yes. Okay. Uh, we were going along the road and it, was, it seemed like a regular ambush up to the side of the road, a regular trap. And so we got a little bit closer to them, realized that they had no idea what they were doing. And you I guys think, were like level 11. Right? Yeah, my character actually walked up to what seemed to be their leader. I handed him my glaive yeah. and then publicly humiliated him until they just surrendered. This was like three sessions before I joined. <laughs> you guys were still talking about this when I when I joined. Because, the, his, because their objective, yes, was to procreate. Essentially, they were just trying to acquire more. So yeah. their bigger object, objective to survive was, was made possible. Yeah. But... When they realized that they were not going to win this fight, that bigger objective took over, and they were like, "Okay, we're just going to live now." The other one that that sticks out in my mind is when you guys were fighting goblin cultists, mm-hmm. and um, the monk Evelyn turned the corner, and she just destroyed like six of them in two rounds. And the seventh went, "You know what? Yeah, I'm going to follow you now. Yeah. Uh, I hereby swear my fealty. You and are so the smear. Join the yeah, group. Yeah, you and are that, the best. I will follow you. And that's a sign of intelligence as well. Yeah. And yeah. also, when it comes down to, I know we touched briefly on their tactics, but are they offensive or are they defensive? Are they going to lay a trap so that you come to them? You know, if yeah. they're more in te- the more intelligent of the creatures, I'm thinking like velociraptors right yeah. now will lay a trap so you will come to them. 
Even coyotes girls. will do that. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So it's going to, ch- and they'll they'll also be smart enough that if that trap is not working, we are now going to leave. You know, yeah. it's not always going to be fight to the death. Dan, you went you went next in initiative. Is there anything else that you want to cover? Have we pretty much? You guys were hitting out of the park. Both of you have said the things that I was like, if they talk about this, I'll be good. But then, well, well hold on. L- let me ask you because you're pretty good. You've you've played enough campaigns that you know. Talk for a minute about deception. <laughs> Yeah, so an intelligent creature is, uh, you're like, you're right, he has the three main drives, and fighting and uh, laying down traps and stuff like that, that's one way they do it. The other way they do it is by tricking the party into doing what they want to do. I am a big fan, and we'll get into this when we start talking about big bad evil guys, because I find they're the ones who really drive into this, but I like using the, the fake ally. So you're gonna have an ally for 17 sessions, and then it doesn't always have to be the, the big guy. It could be a doppelganger. It could be a doppelganger, right? Yeah. They don't have particularly high intelligence. Yeah, uh, but uh, you could even do it. Funny enough, with ogres in a way, in their own dumb way. Remember, everything with a base intelligence thinks it's smart, and if you have a creature that thinks it's smart, that smart, smart, smart. Oh, oh, damn. oh damn. damn! Perfect, <laughs> Come on, uh, Dad. If if it's if you have a creature internet. that yeah yeah this isn't published for everybody <laughs> oh, reputations now uh, if you have a creature that thinks it's smart you're going to have a creature that thinks it could trick the party into doing what it wants it them to do mm-hmm. like um, I have run ogres that will throw rocks to one side of an encounter in order to push the party onto the other side where there's pits. That they've made, oh, or or uh, closer to the edge of the cliff, so that they can let go their dire bears who run down that narrow cliff face, and now you're between a raging dire bear and oblivion, right? So it you have to remember that even if a care, even if a uh, monster is on the lower end of the intelligence spectrum, it itself thinks it's smart and will try to trick. Other than just straight up beat the face of the, the thing standing in the front of the line. The moment that it's more intelligent, say a dolphin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. So e- even dolphins will be able to lay traps. So like velociraptors, right? Yeah. But if if that's the level that we're talking about, that's they're laying traps, but um, I, not so much the the full time like cloak and, and dagger deception. But there should be some level of intelligence for when the correct time is to strike. And what is a more memorable encounter to you guys? You walk up to a, uh, you're walking along a mountain path. There are two ogres on the side. They start throwing rocks. You charge forward, that you one. kill the ogres, and you move on. That one. <laughs> or you walk along uh, the mountain's edge, and rocks start falling from above from an unknown source. Now you have this entire skill challenge of trying to avoid rocks falling from above until they finally find these ogres, and then they are releasing these dire bears or these these creatures to chase after. And then there's this other aspect and you start building these more complex things and you could do it on the fly. It doesn't... Well, it's, it, you bring up an interesting point. Like, I feel like it segues into the idea of not only... And I, I play everything, that every combat that I plan ahead of time. So not random encounters, but even to some degree random encounters. But everything. Not only who is doing uh, the thing, what are, what are they doing, how are they doing it, why are they doing it, but I ask why now yeah and that is that is a question that dms yeah. don't ask people don't just randomly do things for no reason yeah. there's always you know we say we have like objectives but there's 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 a reason why people are doing things um so that quick example i gave earlier those people are trying to survive so that's that's exactly it why now 
Um, you don't just randomly come across two ogres that just decide that they're going to try and kill you because it's not worth the energy no. for them to just do that. Unless they want some bones to make some bread. Well, that would be their reason. Yeah, but, but there's, always, there's always, there's always going, going to be a reason. Yeah. Right, and they may have just made bread, and they're like, oh, I don't care. I'll, I need a go. topping. <laughs> but but they could just be fat and lazy and let you pass because you're yep. not worth it. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, Captain Botch. Captain uh, Botch is my is, name. Is there anything else you want to go over before we move on to the, the I, villains? Without going super intelligent into villains too early, I just want to touch on... A little bit more strategies that intelligent creatures might use. Yeah. It doesn't always have to just be you come across um, some wolves in the in the in the woods or whatever. We talked about the long con. You kind of talked yeah, about the yeah. long con, the mole. I kind of like the idea, uh, but I also like the enemy of my enemy idea. When yep, you're approached yep. by an intelligent creature, hey, we don't like each other, but we both definitely don't like that guy. Yeah, I like those interesting dynamics, those dilemmas yep. that parties have to come across, and they're always. You get them with intelligent creatures. You're not going to get them with the with the stupids that are out there. Which is hilarious because I gave you guys some mercenary Yugoloths uh, not long ago in the campaign to to deal with, and they were blocking your way on this narrow road, mm-hmm. and the entire area was toxic. And they said you don't want to go any further down this road because bad stuff is that way. And you guys were like, well, we just left bad stuff, so. And there was this impasse. What do you do with these guys? And I fully expected you guys to fight them. They're mercenaries. I tried to fight them. I know that you tried to fight them. Everyone else was like, yeah, sure, whatever. Join join the group. Idiots. <laughs> Didn't so, really turn out that poorly for us. But but it was, it was interesting because the enemy, you say the enemy of, of my enemy is my friend. That's interesting because that is a social encounter mm-hmm. that then potentially turns into combat later. Mm-hmm. And it's the evolving... Uh, I guess, encounter. I don't want to say combat, but it's the evolving encounter that includes more than one thing at a time. Even Dan is talking about, oh yeah, they're throwing boulders and there's a cliff over here. That's more than one thing at a time. Yeah. Now it's environment, it's exploring, it, so it's the exploration pillar, and then it's combat. Yeah, And that's and what really try to reinforce all three of them in, in any given encounter you're doing. Because really, if it's just a straight up, you're in an empty room and there's an orc guarding a pie, you need the pie. That, that at the end of the day is what kind a, of pie? Uh, apple, of course. Uh, all right. What there's kind some. Of pie do you like? There's some fresh vanilla ice cream. The right last. The, side. the last pie that I saw in a D and D campaign was children pie. <laughs> you that were my DM, campaign. weren't you? No, that was Terry. <laughs> that was all Terry. Children pie. I was. Uh, spoiler alert for Curse of Strahd. Oh yeah, yeah. No, children, children pie. pie in there. Yeah, there's lots of children pie in there. <laughs> yep. That's about the only thing from Curse of Strahd that we took that was actually in the book. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. thank you, Wizards, for all your hard work that I didn't use. <laughs> so, all right. Is there anything else? Shall we move on to the next thing? Speaking about Strahd, we should probably start talking about some let's big, talk about big guys. bad guys. All right. Uh, let's roll initiative. All right. Get off. Okay. Mine was a three, and, and Dan touched Stop it. Stop aiming for <laughs> our dice. It's a small box, and there's three dice. It is the largest box we have. Mine was a three. Dan touched it, and it rolled over onto a 19. So All that right, means go, it's a 19. That means you go first. You go first. I got uh, a 14. Uh, I'm next. I'll go last. Uh, dungeon Master. Do you want me to call you Dungeon Master, sir? No, Dungeon Master is fine. Um, hold on. All right. Let me break this down for you, okay? Supreme the, on High Lord, I think, is his preference. Your honor will work just yeah, fine. Yeah. Thank you. There's a difference. My liege. There's a difference between a lieutenant a captain, a general, mm-hmm. and the king. 
So we are talking now about the big bad evil guy. This is with tier one, you fought the lieutenant. And then you found out that the lieutenant was really working under the captain's orders, the evil captain. So now you go off and you fight the captain in tier two. By level 10, you've killed the captain. The captain's like, oh no, don't worry. General Indominus will get you. All right, so now, now <laughs> level 15, you have fought General Indominus. And he's like, Oh, well, you piss the king off now, bitches. <laughs> so exactly now... You're so talking now, about Final Fantasy VIII right now. Right? Just <laughs> every Final <laughs> Fantasy ever. Yeah. So, <laughs> this is just the last battle of Final Fantasy VII. Yeah. Like, you hit Kefka, and then you hit Kefka Supreme. Uh, and then you hit Kefka like, Super Supreme. But... but it's then you hit Kefka... Like, Burrito Supreme. Burrito Supreme, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, at, at some point... You have got to realize as a DM that you're you still have no burritos. <laughs> What's the tenacious Taco Grande. Grande. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, burrito Supreme. <laughs> <laughs> but but there there is at some point you've got to realize that there has been a villain behind every decision, every action, that every one of these bosses at every tier, and you don't have to do the four tiers, you can do whatever you want. But there's someone pulling the strings. Mm -hmm. There's been a reason for everything. And you usually know it early. You know that there's an evil king or there's the goddess of death or there is some sort of evil necromancer. There's something there. You know from the first 20 minutes of The Lord of the Rings that Sauron exists, mm -hmm. right? Like, you know who the boss is, but it's a long time before you get there. Yeah. You need to start thinking about what does this big bad evil guy do? How does he do it? Why does he do it? And what are his machinations in the meantime? And that's what I want to talk about. Mm -hmm. So, Terry, you rolled first. When, when we're talking villains, we're talking the memorable bad guy that, that your players will curse the name of for the next decade. Mm -hmm. What are you leaning into? You know what I'm leaning into? I'm leaning into your emotional weakness in that every villain is a hero in their own mind. Mm -hmm. And yeah. also, who turned them into a villain? Because in the campaign Adam. that Adam likes to run, it's usually us, <laughs> accidentally. <laughs> this guy's a good guy so until like he met the party, and now I he's feel, a douche. I yeah, I've been troubled so many times going through a campaign, going, "Wait, are we the bad guys?" <laughs> you, that was literally your catchphrase for like twenty. Seconds. Are we the bad guy? I'm really trying not to be. Are we the baddies? But I but I also like that that in the world out there, I think the people in the world should also be going. Are they the bad guys or are they the bad guys? Because I don't know who to side with here. How many how many times have we seen that in real life when yep. people do not agree on things? Politics in general, that type of thing. Because there's no clear villain. And I think that's what's best. That's what keep, keeps it most interesting. People are not just villains for the sake of being villains. Yes, there are very few select people out there that just want power. But they usually want that power because they've never had it previously. Yeah, or you have your occasional joker. Mm-hmm. Yep. Just the chaotic crazy. Yep. But... Not every campaign needs that to be the big crazy. And that's boss. why the Joker is so memorable because he is the one that stands out because it's not like that yeah. for everybody else. Yeah. You know, otherwise he wouldn't be so memorable. So the big thing that I want to put across for villains is I think that you should sympathize with them to some degree. Some more As than a others. DM. Um, even I think As the players. players. No. Oh, the yeah. players, yeah. you know, I mean, we were just touching on on Strahd. Strahd's got his whole backstory, which I won't spoil for people, and you kinda go I kind of get it. I don't necessarily agree with his methods. Yeah. Some of them, sure. Well, it's, but... the, it's the Thanos imperative, right? Yeah. Like, like he's right. He's right. He did, it, he did it bad, but he's right. I kind of get it. <laughs> it was efficient. but So I think you should always be talking on heartstrings, playing with players' emotions, and, 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 and that will affect their decision. First, we attack their heart. Write that down. <laughs> but, but 
now that now that you've done that and you, you've thought about what they want, are you focused on as a DM? Are you planning for them to win? Are you prepping their strategies so that when the last session of the campaign is done, it will determine if the good guys lose, the bad guy wins. Right. The end. It like are you building uh, to that moment? Are you building to you're planning for that guy to lose? Do you do you stack the deck? Uh, I don't agree with stacking the deck because players are not stupid. Some of them are, but players like we're in, <laughs> just did a Why slow, did everyone look at me? Slow burn over towards <laughs> Daniel, man, or, that... or Danos as we call him now. <laughs> that guy likes to play barbarians and plays half orcs all the time. He must be the dumb one. <laughs> but people pick up on that. Right? So I think that, you know, we touched on this a lot. And we'll touch on it more again in the future. So much rage. So much rage. Your job, like is, your job is to just lay it out there. Yeah. If they win, they win. That's awesome. I put the challenge out in front of you. If you lose, something will happen. But that will inevitably be the beginning of the next campaign if I'm going to run that one as well. Right? So, um, no, I don't think you should stack the deck. I think you should just lay the challenge out, making it as fun and interesting and, and traumatic and torturous as possible. But you shouldn't stack the deck. Okay. So... Um, should every villain have minions and followers? Uh, it kind of... Depends I, on the type of villain. It, it does depend on the type of villain, but also... The, does the, the villain inspire people to follow him? Does the... Either through fear or greatness. Like, if, if, if the villain is the... He could be the solo... Um, the solo skilled character who is just pulling on the strings of the party individually. And just manipulating the party, manipulating the scenario individually. They he could be the grand general who has his army, who does the rousing speeches and the. But but traditionally speaking, you're going to run into the general trope more than the more than the loner because there's the slow ramp up to level twenty or level twelve. Like whatever your campaign ends, there's that slow ramp up. You don't just like kick the door and be like, "Ha! Finally, we got here. Die." <laughs> but <laughs> right? I think like I think any any loner big bads are, are not the general. I think the general becomes infuriated. This thing Star Wars Emperor becomes infuriated, sends out the lower guy to go and do it. Yeah, but but I consider him to be the general. I'm saying like he has minions. Is there a big bad that's noteworthy that you guys can think of that didn't have minions? That didn't have a lieutenant or a captain mm-hmm. or an army or a henchman? <sighs> Especially for a game like Dungeons and Dragons where you have to fight your way to it. Um... In a lesser extent, there was... I forget what his name was. Uh, it'll come to me, but the... So not memorable, then. <laughs> well, no, it, it's just because it was a very long time ago, yeah. and it was in a different property. Galaxy far, far away. Uh, no, the um, last boss of the Rise of the Rune Lords campaign, um, he... Uh, what was his name? It's going to throw me insane. But uh, it's a Pathfinder... Uh, sure. It's yeah, Pathfinder yeah. module. And the last boss is this ancient Rune Lord from this ancient kingdom who's coming back into existence and he's a wizard he's but how, how's he coming back into existence um he is coming back into existence uh if i recall um by force of will alone and like he's not he doesn't have minions but he is twisting cultures into doing things yeah but it's still it's his, not it's, it's not like a minion thing because right, like but, these but people would be influence cursing. right uh, like what, what i'm I saying guess so yeah what i'm saying is that there's there's tiers of bad guys that we need to move towards if someone can think of of the i bad can't guy, think of one right uh, every every darth vader has an army behind them right yeah, like uh, you i mean you have joker darth joker maul. i mean he's got harley quinn darth maul darth darth maul had all the clones 
right? He he had or sorry, all the droids at that point, right? Like, well, I'm I'm talking like the animated Clone Wars Darth Maul, where he's on his solo quest to kill Obi Wan Kenobi, like right? But he wasn't the big bad final boss. No, he had a master. Is the point okay? Right, like there's always there's always the, the he had Darth Sidious. Right? Oh, oh no, I'm I'm talking like after he got chopped in half and dropped down a thing, the character Darth Maul continues to do his thing, and he is a solo lone wolf will destroy everybody. Star Wars is a silly thing. I love <laughs> it, but it is a silly. Thing. Yeah, but you can't ask for an example and then be like, oh yeah, but not that one. No, no, okay, no, that that that's fine. But I'm sure that people are going to argue about this in comments and stuff later about whether or not it counts. Please do. But but the point is, there's so few of them. And when it, there is one, it's usually a short story. How often were they consistently running into this one guy over and over again? And can you harass an entire party for 20 levels with one guy over and over and over and over and over again? It's possible to do. But he usually has resources, and it's not really that interesting. I don't understand why you would do it. What's the benefit of doing it? What's the um, reason? Building animosity with the players. Because, like, if you have a guy who, like, just is constantly harassing, solo harassing the party. I've done this before. Constantly harassing the guy. They see the barest hint of his presence, and everyone is instantly more engaged. Because the players themselves viscerally hate this character. Because he just keeps on slowly tearing apart at their sanity. So, like, uh, if you have that guy keep on coming in, and if the party finally catches up to him, and there's a combat, give him a way out. Gets a way out, then the party has to meet him again. So just to be clear, you have one bad guy in a campaign, and he works alone, and he sometimes shows up, that he goes, that he comes back in, that he goes again. I don't see see why that's such a big thing. Uh, I'd be like, by session three, I'd be like, Dad, I'm sick to death of seeing the same blue dude that shows up all the time. Oh, no, no, no. You, you would have your party go to gather MacGuffins to go find him, right? They're not directly minions of this guy. They're mm-hmm. items of power. They're, they are signs. They are things to draw him out of the woodwork. Then you fight him, and then that guy, oh, wait, no, I'm losing this fight because so he's side smart quests, enough and runs away. Fighting things on the side, not necessarily related to him. You just need to get through them to get the MacGuffin to go and fight. Exactly. Blue dude. Who's I mean, blue? I mean, I guess that that's fair. You guys are in a campaign right now. You're trying to, like, get the goddess of death to stop tearing the world apart. And we don't have, like, we just killed one of the generals, but we kind of stumbled into the fact that she was a general. Yeah, you, you didn't, you're not hunting her. You're hunting objects, right? Yeah. I guess you're technically doing that right now. Yeah, it's not necessarily minions. It's 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 objects of power that are leading you toward them. Well, that's a great tip for people, for listeners. Yeah. Um, I, I want to talk one, one for one second though about what every good villain should do. Uh, and you said, oh, you know, give them a give them a way out, right? After they monologue, <laughs> everybody. Well, that's I, a good I, monologue. I'm using my turn. Oh, you caught me monologuing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm using my turn to talk about monologuing because I I love the villain monologue and it doesn't have to be long. Monologue is just this one person speaking. Terry, you ran into a point where your character was separated from everybody else. They were fighting in a demon keep Mm -hmm. and he just showed up for like a cutscene. And the guy's like, oh, hey, you know what? I brought you your estranged father. Can you kill him, please? Great. I'm going to take your item. Here's a new item. Uh, Here's a whole bunch of magic stuff. Hey, we're best buddies now. And then... And then he disappeared. Yeah, that was good. Um, and so there, but I literally wrote like a four-page monologue mm-hmm. where he went, went, and I would stop and say, "And how do you react?" And so it was almost um, uh, what, what are they called in video games? The uh, 
Quick time event? Quick time event. That that was really how I ran that. And then there was a time that I didn't want Dan to interrupt me, so I turned him to stone and then had his villain walk up to him at the very end of the campaign. And, I'm still and take, pissed about and, this. Like, and take it, his it ancestral me like, amulet and then just be like, okay, thanks, bye, and then leave. <laughs> yeah. Visceral anger. Adam's, about Adam's this. all bad guys and big bad guys are, are frustrating in their own way, but yours are always just assholes. Like you just you hate them to your core. It's not that you disagree with them; you do disagree with them, but you just hate them as and, well. And, 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 and this goes to other DMs as well. Um, as with comedy, drama also requires a heavy amount of timing mm-hmm. to it. So if you are monologuing, if you are going to have Three months worth of ses- worth of sessions where you kind of focus in on one aspect of the party and then want to make sure the rest of the party is still invested and you have this big encounter and then you freeze one of the party members to reveal his big bad from his backstory, mm-hmm. like this nemesis from his backstory, and you reveal him then at the end of the campaign or the end of this combat to go, bye, yeah. and leave, like Adam is talking about. Um, Teehee. You know? it, it's it's all about timing. You just have to understand, like, having a guy who is, you're trying to build up as the big bad villain, who is just going to keep standing in their face and be like, hi guys! Like, yeah. that's not going to work well, out do you for know you. Why I, I can tell you why I like a good monologue and a good cutscene, though, is because it's essentially peacocking, and it's a show of force. Oh, yeah. absolutely. And that is what terrifies... Okay, so you don't instill fear into players, really, by being like, boom, big explosions, ah, boom, things are blowing up. They'll be like, yeah, that's cool. If you put them in a room and monologue at them, and, okay, so I did a similar thing in Strahd, where I got two of the characters in front of me as well, and I monologued in front of them, and I gave them gifts as well. Yeah. One of those gifts was a radiant arrow. I was peacocking. <laughs> I was saying, I'm going to give you the thing that kills me, because I don't think you can. And they was, were terrified. It was pretty epic. Yeah, like, there are some ways, one of my favorite things to do is to establish your villain early by taking your lich... And dangling them in front of the level two party. Like, mm-hmm. Oh yeah, we're going to meet. But for now, sit down and listen to what I have to say as I just slowly flay this orphan child in front of you. Yeah. There's yeah. nothing you can do about it. You can come at me with everything you got, but there's nothing you can do. And I will let you live because I will let you live. Yeah. yeah. And that's infuriating. It takes the control away from them. And that's what causes the, the fear. There are two things that people, that players don't want to happen. They don't want to lose their agency, and they don't want to lose their items, mm-hmm. right? And so having a villain that can come in and do that, that can take your agency and say, hey, there's nothing you can do like I did with you and, and Dasher, or like or take the item, which I did with, with you and Bogdan, yeah. right? So that I... You've but, also done that to me I've several also, times. <laughs> <that's fine>. <laughs> <laughs> but but any time that there's a big bad, I try to steal your agency and I try to steal your item mm-hmm. because that's the thing that is a frightening. You're absolutely right. B infuriating, but most importantly, C memorable. So the one thing I wanted to bring up about big bad evil guys, and we kind of skirted the subject earlier and now I'm taking my sure. turn on initiative here. Um, we said, what happens if your big bad evil guy wins? Yep. As you as a DM, your party, you have the final encounter with your big bad evil guy. Um, the roles go your way. And they don't go the way of the party. Are you asking me or are you... I'm asking us? just generally, what what do you guys do? Because uh, the reason why I thought this, I was... I like to troll YouTube quite a lot. Um, Is that you on my Instagram page? I can neither confirm nor deny the things <laughs> that I have typed on your Instagram page. 
Um, but uh, one of my favorite YouTube channels is uh, Puff Enforced. Uh, little animated videos of stories of this guy and his new D campaigns. I friggin' love them. They're hilarious. <laughs> Uh, but he, one of the ones he just released was about this time. He had this huge campaign built around this uh, demi deity who um, the party finally met up with, and they got the sword put together that could kill him. Um, and the party lost the fight. Yep. So what do you well, do? Adam said this before: is that you're only borrowing those characters. The the world was happening before. It's happening during, and then it happens afterwards. If they lose the fight, if you go through all of that and they lose the fight, you have to be very careful with it about how you about how you go on from that. But that just means that they lost the fight, and you can brilliantly describe what happens to the world afterwards and use it as a way to set up the next, next campaign. campaign. Yeah, absolutely. But it's they may lose that that threat has to be real, or there's no point yeah. in the whole thing. So uh, the way the guy in Puff and Forest put it out there, and I thought this was brilliant, and I did want to air it real quick. He had each player because they were on a demi plane, they were trying to stop this ritual for this guy to come back and be you know, back on the material plane. So they were on this demi plane fighting him. They nearly had him defeated. He had like three hit points left at, before he killed the last guy, but they managed to break the ritual, which was causing the demi plane that they were in to shatter. So he made each of his players around the table roll off to see what plane of existence that they go to when this plane shuts off. Oh, that's cool. I like that. So one of them ended up in like uh, Valhalla. The other one ended up in Elysium. The other one ended up in uh, the wilds. I forget what it's called. The wildlands before the corruption of man or the corruption Scotland. of civilization. Scotland. Scotland. Yeah, Scotland. Scotland. Um, uh, hit it. And then he... To be consistent, and this is one of the things that I will constantly keep on rallying on, um, be consistent. He made his big bad evil guy roll it too, and his big bad evil guy ended up on Mount Olympia. Nice. Oh, nice. that's cool. Right? That's so, his, so the way he described it, and, and one of the party members lived and managed to get out with the, with the sword. So he set up, and you hit the nail on the yeah. head, he set up the next campaign by saying, okay... This guy's dead. He ended up he ended up on Mount Olympia. Your guys' total goal was to have this guy be dead. The angels and paladins and beings of great law and good who have a radar for evil magics found this evil wizard and destroyed him. Um, your other party members are stuck on planes, which you've done with other characters who have had to move out of the country and yep. do things like that. Yeah. Um, and this last character who made it out alive now has a family heirloom that he's passing on from father to son, from um, parents to child throughout the ages saying, your job is now to watch to see if this guy comes back and this is the one thing that could kill him. I like that, and that, that's cool. I think that you have to have, though, a couple of – and see, that's a great example because he had this ritual he was doing. But then he's also like, will he come back and try it again? Mm -hmm. He's got to have a reason, a thing that he's doing, and he should have more than one objective, right? We ended the last campaign with you guys losing, and the whole campaign essentially going on pause for a year and a half to find out what happens next, right? Um, but there were so many things that they were set up to do. They were going to bring in the goddess of death. They were going to raise a lich. They were going to uh, uh, terrorize you guys by stealing all your items. They were going to uh, decimate your city. And then... They accomplished half of it, and the other half was like, oh, shit, did they do it? Did they not? Mm -hmm. 
So even though they got stopped, they only got kind of half stopped. If if your bad guy wins, you have to determine what degree of winning did, did they mm-hmm. do. Yeah. Right? Because if you have a bunch of level one guys kick the door open and, and be like, oh, we're here to stop you, and he just annihilates them. Mm-hmm. Then he's just going to go about his plans. But you have level 20 guys come in. They're going to interrupt his plans. They're going to break his crystal ball. They're going to smash his, his staff. They're going to do something. And now you either have a new campaign or, hey, you know what? The cosmos are no longer aligned. You stopped it. You win. That's great. He lives. But you guys are the heroes that did the thing. And we will tell stories of it and mm-hmm. so on and so forth. But I always have about seven or eight, of course I do, contingency plans about... Degrees of when you win, degrees of when you lose, and do you have a denouement at the end? Mm-hmm. How do you wrap up your session, right? But you need to be prepared for your villain to also be caught monologuing or get halfway out the door that he left open for himself. And, oh, by the way, there's a freaking monk in the party <laughs> that just runs 9,000 feet around. And stuns him. Yeah, and then stuns him and stuns him and stuns him and stuns him. Yeah, I right. love stun. Yeah. I, I hate stun as a DM. Yeah, I love stun as a player. Frustrating. But but you have got to be prepared for your big bad evil guy to die. Yeah. yeah. And then what happens to their plans? Yep. Right? Do their plans. You like, are they the, the controlling aspect of their plans? What and now that you've killed team. him... Wild magic is being spewed into the into reality. Yeah, but but think smaller too. You guys fought a Cronus thirty six, uh, and or you guys fought a Cronus thirty seven. A Cronus thirty seven was a Cobalt uh, leader who stepped in to be the strongest. A Cronus means chief super strong in Cobalt. I've decided. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> um, you almost had me. I was like, shot. No, <laughs> so really, no. That, that, that's that's in canon. So. So it is canon. Acronis means super strong. Oh, really? Yeah. So, um, but he stepped in because Acronis thirty six uh, found uh, the goddess of life and devoted his life to that. Acronis thirty eight didn't agree with how Acronis thirty seven was doing it, and so he he took half of the crew of the Cobalts, half of the horde, and they went off into something else. So there's this weird like power vacuum that's happening all of the time with these Cobalts. Anytime one Cobalt dies or gets dethroned, the next one comes in. And says, ha now I'm chief. Mm-hmm. Right? Why not be able to do... Why, why don't you do that with your, your big bad evil guy? If your king, your your big emperor, dies at, at session 12, and you've got three years of campaign ready, have his general step up and say, oh, you know what? These guys are a problem. I will punish them for this. Mm-hmm. There's, well, there's always a general ready to go. Yeah. There's a Himmler, if you will. Yeah, no, we'll go down that road. No, there's always a Vader. I guess is that safer? Can we can we do that? Yeah, Vader's better. Vader's better. What about uh, just because I, I feel like we'll come to the end? But one thing I just wanted to touch on really because we we mentioned monologue. It's in that similar vein. What about communication? Often between party and bad guys in that that mutual respect type that Xavier and Magneto playing chess. Uh, sometimes, so, sometimes you can just leave a bloody note in the wall, mm-hmm. right? Like sometimes you can just take their amulet and be like. 21. And you know that the player knows what that means, and nobody else does, but it drives it drives the players. I hate you so much. <laughs> What's the reference here? I want to uh, Okay, quick character thing. Rezu, the guy who we keep on talking about, is a dragonborn paladin warlock, son of Bahamut, like, from born from the scales of the god of Bahamut. Mm-hmm. And um, each of the sons of Bahamut got this amulet that unnaturally prolonged their life. So, like, Rezu was... 400 something 500 something years old late 300 whatever yeah yeah he 
he was an old, old, old dragonborn, but he still had a lot of youthful uh, vigor, and that's because of the amulet. Right. So in the backstory, there were a thousand or so. I'm just going to speed this yeah, up. Yeah. There were a thousand or so dragonborn that were like this, but then they fell in battle against Tiamat's forces. Uh, Dan's character was one of the last four in existence, but then this one guy, this like black market uh, dealer, he was a dwarf, popped in. And said, you know what, I'm just going to start murdering all of these guys. And he became Dan's character's arch nemesis before the the, the campaign ever started. Yeah, it's just and, all part of the backstory. But he kept the stealing these amulets and keeping track of it. And every time he did it, he left the number there to taunt Dan's character. Yeah. So, so the last so, thing that Dan's character well, did... Well, one sec. So before we started the campaign, I had written it in that Rezu hadn't run into Bogdan for a century. Yeah. Hadn't run into it for 100 years. And last time he met him, it was at number 17 or something like that. So there were four right. left. So there were four left. And then fast forward to the end of the last campaign before we take this year and a half long break to see what happens next. Bogdan pops in out of nowhere, grabs it and says, 21. Saying like, I just took the last one and then leaves. So you were the last one. I was the last one. And I'm just like, rage. Oh, like, oh man. That's yeah, awesome. And, and that is why I'm so <laughs> bent out of shape about this is because we spent three months. I, I wrote this story and then uh, we had some party members leaving. So... We rightfully put a little bit more bend towards them and making sure that they had the good out. Yeah. And then Adam just right at the end, right at the last session went, Twisted oh yeah, the knife. By, the way, Dan, yeah. by the way, Dan, 21. And I'm like, you. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Love it. So, so anyway, any final thoughts about villains or different levels of encounters or different intelligences? I would just say the big thing to take home from all of this is just remember the why. The why now. Why, why is it happening? Yeah. Because nothing, the, no villain just does stuff for doing stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. All right, cool. Uh, well, that uh, wraps up another episode of It's a Mimic. I'm going to head out uh, before, and you guys can talk about your Warhammer or Seriously, whatever. orcs. They're the best thing I've in never Warhammer. had any interest in playing orcs. I did play, what, what are they called in Warhammer? Goodbye. Humans? The humans? I played Imperial the humans. Guard. Imperial Guard, sure. Thank you for listening to It's a Mimic. Check us out online at itsamimic.com or on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Have questions you would like answered by the guys on the show? Send them an email to itsamimic at gmail.com. Tune in every Tuesday for more. There's that woman again. <laughs>